This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 312. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we are recapping the first seven watches as part of my 31 of October. That's right, seven mini movie reviews coming your way of titles that are 2021 releases in the UK. So I can't guarantee that I won't spoil information on some of these movies at some point during the review. So if that does happen, it's on your own head. Or if you are, I don't know, a bit uh, pensive and not want to know anything about any of the movies that are coming up, you can use the time coding or if you have one of those fancy podcatchers that identifies where I have split the show into chapters, just skip the chapters on the movie reviews or the movies you've still seen. A long way of saying, I don't want to spoil these movies for you, but if you listen right through to this and something does spoil it, it's on your own fucking head. It's not on mine. So yeah, seven movie reviews coming your way, ladies and gents. In the form of the brand new James Wan movie, Malignant, we'll be looking at Bingo Hell and Black as Night. Both those movies were part of the Welcome to the Blumhouse, the kind of partnership that they have with Amazon. So yeah, both those movies were on Amazon Prime. Then we skip across to Shudder to do Jacob's Wife. And then we look at a VOD title. This was Spiral from the Book of Saw, one of the first horror movies to make its way to the cinema this year. Um, Then we'll be looking at a brand new Netflix exclusive, There's Someone Inside the House, before finishing off with another Netflix exclusive from earlier on in the year, a classic horror story. So that is your seven movies that we'll be covering. Like I say, use that time coding or the chapters function to make sure you skip past the ones you don't want to hear. So, as we stand right now, this is Friday and there's so much stuff happening. There's loads of stuff happening under the stairs. The rest of the week, maybe not so much, but you've had a ton of content already. You've had a brand new Bazoween episode that was over three hours in length and worth every fucking minute. You also had the movie club announcement which dropped yesterday. The next episode that drops from under the stairs will be on Sunday. It'll be another one of those 80 films slasher classic collection series of reviews. It is another one of those, in fact this one I've owned for a year. That's how long they left us in limbo with those titles. We'll be doing La Casa aka Witchcraft. And that is, yeah, that's our next one. That's number 62 in the collection so that's coming your way on Sunday and then obviously Monday we kick off another brand new week with another Bazoween episode Baz taking on Goodnight Mummy and Final Destination 3 as part of his Final Destination retrospective in the background I am busy hard at prep 
getting the Halloween episode of Podcast Under the Stairs ready, which will be a Russian Roulette franchise retro one episode covering the entire franchise plus Halloween Kills. Uh, the list of guest hosts has been selected. They're against the movies. We're doing a ton of recordings this weekend ahead of it. But the exciting news about that is finishing off his full retrospective into Halloween. The Baz will be covering Halloween from 2018 and Halloween Kills from 2021. So that will be uh, his return back to the franchise and also putting that rubber stamp on it until Halloween Ends comes out next year. So yeah, there you go. On the Teapots Collective at the beginning of the week, you got a brand new where to begin with. Uh, the next thing we'll be dropping is probably an Opera Omnia and it'll be dropping in the next week and a half. You'll get another Opera Omnia pretty much in quick succession from that, as well as some Doing the Nasty episodes, which will drop their way probably towards the end of the month and early into the month after. So there you are, all caught up, ladies and gents. So let's do this, shall we? I'm going to take a very short break just now. You are going to hear a clip from the movie we're discussing first. On the 1st of October, I sat down and watched a brand new James Wan movie, Malignant. Now you know better than I know, because you've heard me talk about it a lot, not a fan of James Wan. We'll see if this movie landed. You'll find out right after this. Welcome back, ladies and gents. You've just heard a clip from the movie Malignant. This movie came out just last month. It is directed by James Wan, based on the story by Echo Cooper and Ingrid Bisu, and obviously James Wan helping out with the co-writing on that one. The movie itself stars Annabella Wallace, Maddie Hassan, George Young, uh, Michonne Brianna White, Jean Louisa Kelly, Susanna Thompson, Jake Abel, Jacqueline McKenzie, Amir Abdueli, uh, Christian Clemenson, and some other folks are in here for sure. Synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb is Madison is paralysed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. So yeah, like I said in the kind of preamble there before we kicked into this one, James Wan, <laughs> um, I've done a Wanniverse episode, in fact we did two Wanniverse episodes myself, Bo Ransdell and Jamie G. Sammons, where we got into it. I fully appreciate what the guy's done for the genre, I mean I can't stress how important he is to the genre, he's just not my particular brand of Java, so to speak. 
I find these movies at time inconsistent in tone and they remind me of much better movies that I would be watching if I wasn't watching this. And news for this one sprung around a while ago saying James Wan's tackling on a giallo and people were like, oh my god, and I was like, well, he, I mean, if you watch Saw, like the influences and nods to Deep Red are in there, so it's not as if he, he didn't know what giallo cinema was. But I'll be honest, if I wasn't just a little bit sceptical about James Wan tackling a subgenre that I genuinely love. And um, I saw the trailer for it, and the trailer... I'm not one of these people that's like, don't watch trailers. I, I, like, I enjoy watching a trailer. A trailer gets me hyped for a movie. I also never go in expecting exactly what I see in the trailer. I also never go in expecting that the scenes that I've seen in the trailer aren't potentially the best bits of the movie. I'm a realist that way. I'm pragmatic and practical. I think some people are a bit naive with that um, and they also take everything that a trailer shows them as being, well this is exactly the movie you're getting. That's not the purpose. It's the sales clip, isn't it? It's to get interest. So it will use manipulations and craft and the dark arts to get people through the door. But when I watched the trailer for um, Malignant, the first thing that struck me is, well, this doesn't feel like a giallo. Uh, out with the, the kind of Argento-esque or Bava-esque colours that they used at the end, it didn't have that feel of vibe at all. So, and I was alright with it, to be honest with you. I kind of felt like... I'm not going to crucify a film because it doesn't necessarily meet up to the aspirations or intentions of the director. Is it a good movie or isn't it a good movie? Interestingly enough, this is probably one of the more Jallo-esque movies I've seen in a while. Uh, the trailer is designed to make the movie seem less campy and less crazy than it actually is, and I am fine with that. I think this movie is very difficult to market once you know where it's going, and this is one that I genuinely will not uh, do any sort of spoilers on because you're best going into this one as cold as possible. I will say this though, it does have a Jalloesque quality. As one of the better setups to the observation of a murder, and trying to solve a crime that I've seen in a movie in a long time. Uh, that's the, the kind of the backbone of Jallo is, you know, someone, an innocent, a non-cop, observes a, a murder and tries to basically solve the crime themselves, uh, usually with inept police officers in the background not doing their job, and that this movie has that as well. It has a very funny tone for a good, like, 60% of the runtime, and when I say funny, I don't mean, like, as in cracking jokes. I mean, as in, it's kind of overtly campy and the dialogue is very, very schlocky, but actually that fits into the movie because there is a turn, as you can imagine, and that turn is when things pick up pace and become different. Uh, it actually has a ton of body horror in it in a way that I really enjoyed. It definitely owes a lot to Frank Henenlotter, and that's as far as I'll go in with that. And when that kind of stuff started to unravel in the movie, I was immensely happy. I'll go on record and say, and I put this in my letterbox review for this one, this is probably my favourite of the the James Wan movies. Um, pr prior to this, my favourite was a movie like Death Sentence, which is not a horror movie and it's basically a rip-off of Death Wish, but I, I genuinely found myself getting behind this one quite a bit. 
I enjoyed the kind of ostentatious nature of it, the, the kind of almost cocky balls to the wall nonsense of it made me smile quite a bit. And I just found myself being drawn further and further into, is this movie actually, is it is it serious? Or is it trying to be campy? You know, what's it trying to do? Is it trying to scare me? Is it trying to gross me? And to be honest, it's a bit of everything, maybe minus the scares, but I enjoyed it. There's nods to, to things like cruising in here as well, which I enjoyed. It's got the black glove killer sort of idea. Uh, the killer's weapon is very, very cool. There is some of that, once again, Bava Argento-esque lighting. And it just deals, the acting in general and some of the story is very hokum and very over the top in a way which Jallo is. Very seldom were Jallo's super serious. They always had something, even if you sit down and watch Deep Red, Deep Red has a vein of comedy that runs right through it between uh, well, the kind of lo weird love interest with Daria and Nickelodeon that exists in that movie. So, I mean, it does have comedy and it's still an amazing movie and this has comedy and it was still a thoroughly entertaining movie. I think the score's great, it looks like a lot of money was spent on it and if this is James Wan saying, listen, I've made Aquaman and i made a shitload of money and that Fast and Furious movie you loved, oh and by the way my fingerprints are all over that conjuring stuff that makes all the money in the world and I want to kind of pivot that power to make a little standalone thing myself here, I'm going to make this malignant movie, then well done to him. And I think this works. I think it's his best movie. I think it's the one that I finally kind of felt like I understood who James Wan was as a director, whereas in every other movie I've kind of seen his influences but not seen him. This is the first movie that I've kind of seen him. It's like the way I wanted to feel when I watched Dead Silence and I was like, this is a movie which is campy and gothic in a way that I should love, but there was something about that movie that was just a bit repugnant. Uh, this one doesn't have that, has that campy quality for sure in there uh, and is bonkers and fun and gory and gnarly and really, 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 really well done. Like really, really, really well done. Um, in terms of a grade for this one, I gave this one a four and a half out of five. I thought it was brilliant and I can't wait to, one, check out that Blu-ray, I've got that 4K UHD steelbook come in. I can't wait to have it in the collection and sit down and watch it again because, like I say, a lot of time for this movie. So that was my first movie, kicking off my 31 strong with Malignant. The next movie, we're jumping across to Amazon Prime. It's the first of two back-to-back -back features we're going to be discussing, which are part of the partnership between the kind of Blumhouse studio and Amazon Prime. The first one is Bingo Hell. You're gonna hear a clip of that movie and I'm gonna be returning to talk about it right after this. How about you, my dear? What's the one thing you most desire? What would bring you happiness? A new life. A new life. Here at Mr. Big's Bingo, you could win enough money to buy that new life ten times over. Who's ready to play the game? And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, this is Bingo Hell. You just heard a clip of the movie. It's directed by Gigi Sol Guerrero. 
and it is based on the teleplay by Shane McKenzie, um, Gigi Sol Guerrero and Perry Blackshear. Um, interesting enough, Perry Blackshear is an interesting character in general, one that I, uh, I've seen a few of his movies. He's actually a, a kind of an amazing director. Like one that, once you get to know the stuff that he's done, it is worth spending a bit of time uh, just checking out his, his wares. I mean, he did They Look Like People, which is a great movie, and The Siren. He's got a brand new movie out this year called When I Consume You, which I don't know when's available. I think it's done some of the festival circuit, but I don't know when I will see it. Uh, the movie itself, Bingo Hell, stars Adriana Barraza, L. Scott Caldwell, Joshua Caleb Johnson, Richard Brake, that's right, Richard Brake, he of Doomhead from 31 fame, uh, Clayton Landry, uh, Jonathan Medina, Bertilia Damas, Grover Coulson, David Jensen, and Kelly Murtaugh. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb is, in the barrio of Oak Springs lives a strong and stubborn group of elderly friends who refuse to be gentrified. Their leader, Lupita, keeps them together as a community, a family. But little did they know their beloved bingo hall is about to be sold to a much more powerful force than money itself. Um, right, so this is the Welcome to the Blumhouse banner. We had four of these last year, which we reviewed last year, and I didn't like any of them. Uh, I, I kind of felt like there was an interesting idea in there, but they all kind of felt like episodes of a TV show, like a not very good TV show, like small anthology pieces that had been stretched out to the point of lack of interest. I think the one that probably scored near the, the top for me was um, the one about the musician, which I thought was alright, but then I'd already seen The Perfection that year, which was much better, so... Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people were kind of really psyched about the one which basically was like a low-rent Black Mirror episode. I, yeah, just, it just didn't really spark much in the way of enthusiasm for me. Although, like I said before, it seemed to do quite well. So these were the four that were carried over. So we're going to be doing all four this month as well. Bingo Hell being the first one. The next review we'll be doing is Black as Night. And then next show, you'll get the final two movies as part of this banner. And I'm going to be honest with you, um, the quality is maybe a little bit less here. I didn't really like Bingo Hell at all. Um, I, it felt a bit like like a short from something like a creep show or maybe even like a, a Twilight Zone episode, but like a really shitty one and just extended out. It's a kind of horror comedy. The comedy didn't really work for me. There was so many jokes about kind of hipsters and gentrification that just felt kind of tone deaf to me. I didn't really like any of the characters at all. And I found this one really middling. It just plodded along. It's not long. It's not even an hour and a half. This is an hour and 25 minutes. And it felt like it went on and on and on forever. One of the big kind of negative points on this one is you're about 35 minutes into this before the bingo hall is actually officially properly sold and things turn, turn over to probably the most interesting aspect of this movie, which is Richard Brake, who's playing Mr. Big, who is basically a kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, he's kind of the devil, realistically. He's a, a demon you make deals with in the bingo hall, selling your soul away. Um... 
and he's he's having fun and he's probably the best thing about the movie but the script's pretty bad um it does have this kind of if they ever decided to reboot Wishmaster, Richard Brake should play the gin. That's all I'm saying. He'd be fucking great at it. Because it had that level as well. Um, but, and it's shot well. Actually, if we're giving it props, we should say it's shot well. I, I mean, the, the cinematography's fine. But everything else is just boring and mediocre and meanders in a not nice way and doesn't deliver much in the way of anything I would consider horror. I mean, there's some interesting practical effects, which look pretty cool, but uh, they're not practical effects that you need, like, a team of... It's not Psycho Gorman, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's kind of basic practical effects that are in here. And I really wanted to like this one because the premise itself is kind of cool and the setup was alright and like I said before, I like Richard Brake, having recently watched Mandy again for the summer series, he's in that movie for less than five minutes and he almost about steals the whole fucking movie. So, and he looked like he was having fun, but it just, it had nothing that... I hadn't seen done a million times better and it wasn't even kind of low rent horror it was just painfully average like to the point where to muster up any hatred towards the movie I don't have the energy and to muster up any praise in the movie I don't have the energy because it's just not there and I think that is the worst thing that could be said about a piece of art in any medium is that it doesn't necessarily cause you to have any I was going to say extreme reaction, that's not right. Any any reaction that you can put energy into. And this movie falls into that bucket. Yeah, I mean, I'll never watch this again. It's... I would love to say that this is the, the kicked off with the weakest one first, but I know that the next one didn't score well with me as well, and we're about to get to that. But this movie here, Bingo Hell, I mean... I wouldn't go out my way to watch this one. I gave it a 2 out of 5. I didn't like it. I would not say I hated it. I didn't hate it. Because uh, like I said, it didn't it didn't inspire enough venom in me to hate it. But I'll never watch it again. I don't recommend that you guys watch it either. I would skip this one for sure. Um, spend your hour and 25 minutes somewhere else doing something else. Like a really long, relaxing wank. How about that? There you are. You have permission to do that, ladies and gents, rather than watch Bingo Hell. So yeah, two out of five for that movie. We are going to take another break, and when we come back after a clip for Black as Night, we're going to talk about the second movie under the Welcome to Blumhouse banner. And FYI, spoiler alert, I don't like this one either. I'm going to be right back to discuss it right after this. Maybe we should just go. Are you sure a dude even stays here? How did you even find out about him? Just a hunch, I guess. A hunch? <gasps> Shit. Probably just a rat, right? Maybe we should just go. Jeez, bro, you always gotta be. <laughs> 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 
friends, welcome back. So you've just heard a clip for Black Is Night. This was a movie that I watched on the third. The third movie in my 31 of October. This one is directed by Manetti Lee Go, based on the Sherman Payne script or screenplay. The movie stars Nicole Barra, uh, Mason Beauchamp, uh, Aisha Cooper, De Thaddeus Crane. Keith David is in this one, who's probably the biggest name here. Abigail. Tinder Lale, Fabrizio Guido, this is a bad look for me, Derek Roberts, Andrew Penrow, Al Mitchell, and Sami Naji Najunja. Right, the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb is a teenage girl with self-esteem issues finds confidence in the most unlikely way by spending her summer battling vampires that prey on New Orleans disenfranchised with the help of her best friend the boy she's always pined for, and a peculiar rich girl. Um, uh, once again, this kind of felt like this could have been an episode of a TV show that has been extended out to movie length. Once again, this one clocks in under an hour and a half. This is an hour and 27 minutes in length. What did I like about it? I liked the setting. I love the New Orleans setting. I love the idea of this is kind of post-Katrina and vampires are using this as a hunting ground. I kind of enjoyed that. I also kind of enjoyed the, the kind of... There's a very poorly executed storyline here about kind of disenfranchisement, uh, disenfranchisement uh, about race and inequality and about that fighting back against the rich and the elites and on paper i think it sounded like a really good idea it is so poorly executed in this movie that by the time you realize that's kind of what they're doing which is towards the end of the movie um you're like i, I mean it's too little too late cinematography wise this once again is shot well it looks like money's been spent there's some animated stuff in the movie which is done kind of almost kill bill anime style which i thought was super wicked and that's probably about the highlight of the movie for me. Um, there are like vast swaths of Buffy the Vampire Slayer better than this. There's an element, a little bit of kind of True Blood in here, but True Blood's infinitely better. And it's once again just things you've seen done before much better. I mean, on the scale of vampire movies, this is low. I mean, it's just really, really, really low. It didn't feel like I had any great oomph to push itself out it's you know it kind of felt like it would have benefited from being more a kind of campy comedy like what bingo hell was trying to do and if bingo hell had been a bit more serious then maybe the the inverse of those things maybe have benefited it this needed a dose of humor some quirk some fun some a la buffy the vampire slayer which isn't there there's a kind of love story at the center that i could not have given less of a fuck about if i tried um I mean, you could literally fill the Grand Canyon with the amount of fucks I gave about the majority of the characters in this movie, the story or anything. I had to fight with all my power and all my will and all my being not to lift my mobile phone and kill time while watching this movie. It's just not good. And above all that, it's another one of these ones where I'm starting to question what the purpose of Welcome to the Blumhouse actually is. If Welcome to the Blumhouse is a way to get people interested in Blumhouse's studio, 
then I can't see it generating interest. I more cynically think this is movies that Blumhouse has financed that are never going to get a cinematic run, so money's being paid by Amazon, they'll dump it on a streaming site um, and trade off both kind of proprietary names, Blumhouse and Amazon, as a way to, to garner some sort of interest. I mean, like, from five minutes into the movie, you know roughly how it's going to end, and then it ends that way, so you're just killing time until it happens. Um, and it unfolds really slow as well. This is another one where you are a sizable chunk into the movie before, like, shit starts to creak into gear and then eventually kick off in the most predictable and unsatisfying way. Yes, yeah, another one that I, I just didn't think did anything. It's not worth your time. Certainly wasn't worth my time. Um, and I, yeah, I, I was just, I'm very disappointed by this and we have two next week, which I am now like kind of like not dreading, dreading's the wrong word, but I'm at that stage where I'm like, do I even want to like, do I swap them out at this stage or what do I do? In terms of a grade for this one, it gets the same as Bingo Hell, it gets a two out of five. I didn't hate it, but it didn't generate any sort of enthusiasm or passion in any way in the negative or positive columns for me to want to spend any more seconds talking about this movie. So let's stop and let's move on. Uh, right, so that's two out of five for Black as Night. I'm going to take a short break just now. You are going to hear, ladies and gents, uh, a little clip for the next movie review. It is Jacob's Wife. This was exclusive to Shudder. We're going to be discussing that movie right after this. Hey, Mike. What's up? Hi, Jacob. I could really use your help with something. Would you turn the engine off and step out here? You really saved my back the unnecessary strain. What's in the case? Uh, nothing. Just hospital supplies for administering last rites and so forth. You mind if we take a look? Well, yes, I would, actually. Uh, I'm uh, on my way to an important appointment right now. Uh, uh, gotta see a very sick patient. Very sick. You know what? Why don't we indulge Deputy Colton? He's coming up with a performance review in a month, right? He could really use the experience. Isn't that right, Colton? Right as rain, Sheriff. Step on back here, Jacob. <laughs> this is not what you think. Oh, I'm sure we've seen worse. Welcome back, ladies and gents. So you have just heard a clip from Jacob's Wife. Like I say, this is exclusive to Shudder. It's directed by Travis Stevens, whose previous movie was The Girl on the 13th Floor, which was all right. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, if I'm honest. I think its biggest claim to fame is it had CM Punk, the wrestler, in it. Um, this is based on the screenplay by Travis Stevens, Kathy Charles, and Mark Steensland. The movie itself, pretty amazing cast. The two leads here are Barbara Crampton and Larry Fezzeden. And on top of that as well, the, the kind of master vampire that is in this movie, that's right, has a vampire in this movie, is played by Bonnie Ahrens, who's more famous for playing the nun in the Wanniverse kind of extended Conjuring universe, or whatever we're calling it now, the nun movie. That's who she plays, because it's a very unique look. 
Now, CM Punk does make a kind of cameo back here alongside Nisha Bell. We have Sarah Lind, Mark Kelly, JD Von Johnson. Uh, Robert Rustler is in this one. Aging Robert Rustler. Uh, and some other folks um, as well. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb is Anne, married to a small-time minister, feels her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years. Encountering the master brings her a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. However, the change comes with a heavy body count. Um, let's just get this out of the way. I really, really, really like this movie. And I'll tell you why I really like this movie. It is cast perfectly. I did not know I needed the kind of curmudgeon married couple of Barbara Crampton and Larry Fesden as much as I did. And now that I've seen them together as that, I want them to have their own TV show. Uh, I want them to give manage advice. Uh, their own YouTube channel, maybe a podcast. Um, they're brilliant. They're, they're so well casted. Fesden is having a fucking ball here. This is one of those... I have, I've always really liked him as a director. I've always really loved him as an actor, even though he dies a lot in movies and I will not tell you whether or not he dies in this movie because that's a big old spoiler so let's not do that but he's he's kind of great as this kind of kind of set in his ways stuck in the mud kind of got a giant beer belly minister and you have Barbara Crampton who plays his kind of long-suffering wife Barbara Crampton another another I mean I love her I love her so much uh, she's aging like a very 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 fine wine and she's I I love the, the passion in which she's brought back to, in the last decade, back to doing horror movies after yeah, essentially putting her career on hold to be a mum and, and all those things. Um, she's really come back and she's doing a ton of genre stuff. Some of it I like, some of it I don't like. I love her here. Her character of Annie is, is kind of great. Or Anne, sorry, is kind of great. She, she kind of plays like this kind of woman that wishes life had been better grassy greener on the other side sort of character when the turn comes and she becomes a vampire which is the twist in this movie which you will know because it pretty much says it on the show art it says it on the, the synopsis we just mentioned she is having a fucking ball and she is so giddy and it's over the top it kind of reminded me a little bit of um drew barrymore's performance in santa clarita diet and actually weirdly this kind of owes a lot to santa clarita diet uh, it's just dealing it with vampires. Um, it's in a small town, so you get a lot of kind of odd characters. And it, it, it throws a lot of gore in there. The gore is actually excellent in this movie. But it's quirky, it's fun, and it has a real sense of humour that I could get behind. Like, one that made me smile and made me laugh. It's darkly comedic. And it's pretty horrific as well. The master makeup... Um, for Bonnie Aaron, who, like I say, has this very unique bone structure on her face, very high cheekbones, very drawn in face. Uh, just think of the nun, that's what she looks like. Um, it's kind of amazing, she has this Nosferatu-esque, almost Salem's lot at the same time as well, you know, um, kind of face thing going on, the, the makeup, and it works really, really, really well. There's a, there's a bit of kind of female empowerment in there, um, but not in a way when it's browbeaten or try to push a kind of quasi-feminist agenda or anything like that. Not that I have any issue with that in my movie. Um, it's there, but it's handled in a really kind of fun, quirky, tasteful way. 
and I just had a ball with it. I think it's, it's shot beautifully. Like I said before, the gore is great. Soundtrack is awesome. Our two leading characters, Barbara Crampton and Larry Fesden, are brilliant. And it lives and dies on their performance, and the performance really sold it for me. Yeah, I thought this movie was great. It got a four out of five for me. I really like this one. It is exclusively available on Shudder, so do yourself a favor. Go and check it out. Remember, you get a little bit of free time. I think it's seven free days when you sign up with Shudder, so no excuse not to do that, and then cancel it if you don't want to keep it. But Jacob's Wife getting four out of five from me. Let's take a short break. You are going to hear a little clip for our next movie review. This was the first big horror release of 2021. The long-anticipated and awaited spiral from the book of Saw. That's right, it's Saw, but not. And it's got Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson, motherfucker. We're going to be discussing that movie right after this. Hello, Detective Banks. I'm here to help reform the Metro Police. To remind them of their oath to the people of this city, one officer from your station refused to be reformed. He will not be the last to play my game. That spiral is what I think it is. Jigsaw? Wait, I thought the Jigsaw killer was dead. Yeah, but if it's another copycat... It's gonna be a shit show. I recognize that building. It's the courthouse. Let's check it out. Your boys might need some backup. Fuck you, Fitz. It's not your case. Yo, Zeke. What do we got here? And welcome back. So you've just had a clip from Spiral from the book of Saw. This one is directed by longtime Saw director Derlin Bowsman. I think he has the majority of Saw movies to his credit. It's based on the screenplay by Pete Goldfinger and Josh Stolberg. The movie itself, bizarre fucking cast here. Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, Marcel Nichols, um, Max Minghella. We have Dan Petronovic, uh, Richard Zepparelli, Ali Johnson, Patrick McManus, uh, Casey Collins, some other folks. I'm not going to go too much deeper into this one. Um, synopsis for this one is A criminal mastermind unleashes a twisted form of justice in Spiral, the terrifying new chapter from the Book of Saw. The Book of Saw that we didn't know existed until it told us there was a Book of Saw. Um, <sighs> uh, I don't know what I expected from this. I don't know what I expected from this. And about up to the 30 minute mark, I thought this was a piss take. I thought someone was doing a kind of satirical pastiche on the ideas of Saw, but kind of playfully kind of twisting it towards the ideas of, of uh, 
kind of police brutality and a conversation along that, which would be very on point for for recent years in Hollywood scripts. And it's not. This is just a bad movie. This is like the worst cliche cop movie you've ever fucking seen. With all the like every cliche you've ever seen, like I want your badge and gun, an argument with your you know uh, um, your kind of superior in the office. Um, Kind of cops like getting into like pissing contests in the bullpen. Uh, you know, someone who's a good cop who's turned in a bad cop, so he's ostracized by the rest of the force. Like all these cliches are written throughout this movie. And then in the backdrop, there is a, a killer who's emulating Jigsaw. And I will tell you right this now: if you get 20 minutes in this movie and you have not guessed who the killer is, then you are not a bright person. I'm just putting that down right now. It is fucking painfully evident who the killer is. Um, and as a result, that kind of knocks it down points. But not as much points as a lot of these deaths happen off screen. And then we get kind of montage scenes of how they happened after the effect. And I would understood if it did it once or twice. But it does it like almost everyone apart from the opening kill. And I've heard a lot of people online saying that the kills are are kind of really cool in this one. I think they're low rent saw kills and I'll go one step further. I actually don't find them, I don't find them as gross or toe curling in a way where some previous movies were, which I should feel refreshing about, but I actually just kind of felt like they missed a trick here. They obviously lean into the idea of the pigs, uh, the pig head uh, used by Jigsaw and a different kind of light here, pigs being police, um, which I think he thought was probably a lot cleverer than it was. Samuel Jackson is on screen for what, about five minutes in this movie and he's playing Samuel L. Jackson. Chris Rock looks like he's really wanting this movie to be a success and it just doesn't work. I struggle with him in serious roles anyway. Um, I kind of did a little bit here. But yeah, it's just, it's a, a very, this is a movie that you wholeheartedly have to s suspend your disbelief outside on something like a tow truck, because if you don't, it'll fall apart. And it kind of did. And the ending of this movie, which I won't spoil, is the biggest kind of fuck you ending I've seen in a while. Um, and then credits. And I was like, well, no one thought this was going to make a second movie, so what are we doing here? It's not good. It's not good. It has a lot of money spent on it, but it's not good. Um, and adds to the downward trajectory of the Saw franchise overall. I was actually embarrassed about how bad this movie was. Because like I say, it's shot well. The effects are good, but the kills are bad. Um, the acting isn't great. The dialogue is pretty shit. It's just cliched tired. And in 2021, we expect better as the audience. Um, in terms of grading this movie, I give it a 2.5 out of 5. It's sitting somewhere between I didn't like it and I liked it. Um, and it probably gets bumped up because Samuel Jackson says motherfucker a lot in it, so it gets a 0.5. But yeah, it, it wasn't good. Um, and yeah, I would not, I, unless you're a completist, don't rush out and check out this movie. We need to kind of stop people making these movies. That's the problem. They trade off the name and everything they trade off the name like Jigsaw did, that previous one, I think it damages the better entries in the franchise overall. So yeah, 2.5 out of 5 for Spiral from the book of Saw. We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear a little clip 
from our second to last movie. So this one was done on the 6th. This is a Netflix exclusive. The return of director Patrick Bryce, who did both Creep movies, Creep and Creep 2, on Netflix. This is There's Someone Inside the House. We are going to be discussing that movie after a clip right after this. I got a crime suspect, Macon Bewley. Alternate theory, my dad. Huh, you wish. Think about it. No way Jackson's parents want to live in that house, on that farm where their, where their kid was killed, any longer than they have to, right? Who else wants that farm more than Skipper Sanford? Land Baron of Osborne. Chaos breeds opportunity, boy. <laughs> and this is an opportunity for Sanford Family Farm. <laughs> you can sit with us. Sorry. Thanks. I'm Darby. I know. I'm Caleb. Pleasure to meet y'all, I guess. Officially. Caleb. It's not a country club. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for There's Someone Inside Your House. This is directed by Patrick Bryce, based on the screenplay by Henry Gaydon and based on the novel by Stephanie Perkins. I'd heard about this novel but never read it, so I don't know how close it is to the novel or, or, or whatnot. Uh, the movie stars Sydney Park, Theodore Perlin, uh, Aisha Cooper, Dale Wilby, Jesse LaTourtiet, Buckley Duffield, Diego Yosef, Zane Clifford, BG Harrison, uh, Amelia Baranka, Jade Falcon, William Edward, some other folks are in this one. Synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as the graduating class at Osborne High is being targeted by a masked assailant intent on exposing the darkest secrets of each victim and only a group of misfit outsiders can stop the killings. So, um... <laughs> uh, I like this one quite a bit, but I don't necessarily think it's a good movie, right? So let me let me kind of quantify that one. The first thing that kind of got me was the the name of the movie is really weird, and I don't know if the book sheds more light on this. There's someone inside your house evokes kind of old slasher movies, um, but also kind of evokes single set location, and that's not that at all, and it really bears nothing with the opening kill to anything in the movie. It's a teen slasher movie at its core and it's for the most part a surprisingly fun teenage slasher movie. We get our oddballs, we get a lot of the cliches that we're used to, it's surprisingly violent and bloody. I like the look of the killer who changes his masks um, as we go through it using a 3D printer to print off the mask, well the base of the face of the person who he will be killing. And, like it said in the synopsis here, the premise is that he's revealing everyone's dirty secrets while he does it. So it's kind of like a cross between 13 Reasons Why and Scream, but not as good as either one of those. I think the cast is fine, most of them are likeable, some of them are completely unlikable and also not plausible. Um, and for about two thirds of the movie's runtime, it's something I can kind of get behind and kind of enjoy. And I was kind of enjoying the mystery. The last third kind of falls apart. It goes too big on its kind of reveal at the end. And uh, the kind of actual final face-off is a bit over. It's a bit too over the top. It's a bit too ostentatious. I don't think this movie merits from something like that. 
but I suppose the biggest crime of there's someone inside your house, which is a name I keep struggle saying, is that it doesn't feel like anything you haven't seen before 20 years ago. Uh, you know, it's, it's owing to that kind of new wave of slasher movies that we got kind of post-Scream, and it kind of still exists in that. That's not to say that I don't enjoy those sorts of movies. I do, but I do feel like I've seen most of the permutations and reveals in those movies. And whilst I didn't necessarily predict the killer in this one, when it was revealed, it did feel a bit dumb. Uh, and not in a way where it's like, oh, it's Billy and Stu. Uh, you know what I mean? This one kind of just felt like, oh, right. Well, that kind of makes sense a little bit. Um, it's shot really, really, really well, though. And like I say, the, the deaths, the slasher deaths are cool as fuck. And I really enjoyed them. But that was a, that's about it, if I'm honest. That's about as far as I would go with it. So when it came to actually thinking about a grade for this one, I was kind of torn because I felt like I was instantly going to come in lower than what I did. But I have to kind of st stick true to it. At finished, I was kind of smiling and I did kind of enjoy it. And I don't know if it's because I come off the back of three not good movies um, and two good movies that, I, you know, this kind of felt like it was starting to balance things out for me. I gave this one a three and a half out of five and I stand by that grade. Uh, Patrick Bryce is an interesting director. I think he's, he's done not a movie I've disliked so far, but I really want him to finish out that creep retro um, by doing the, the, the third one, the trilogy. Uh, I feel he's got it in him. I feel Mark Duplass wants to do it. I feel I need to see it, and Netflix has got the money to make it happen. So let's make it fucking happen, people. Uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a great director, and he's done another good movie. Uh, so I give this one, like I say, three and a half out of five. Let's take a short break. You're going to hear a clip for the final movie, movie number seven, watched on the 7th of October, and this first recap, the first seven movies of my 31 of October. This one is Italian, and it's called The Classic Horror Story. It's available exclusively on Netflix. Here's a clip. I'll be back to discuss about it right after this. Ma alberi, alberi infiniti, quando sei qui vicino a me, questo soffitto viola non esiste più, io vedo il cielo sopra noi. Siamo qui abbandonati come se non ci fosse più niente più niente al mondo suona un'armonica mi sembra un organo che vi per me sull'immensità del cielo 
and welcome back. So you've just heard a clip from a classic horror story. This one is directed by Roberto De Feo and Paolo Stripoli, uh, based on the screenplay by Paolo Stripoli, Roberto De Feo and Lucio Bessana. The movie stars, and I'm going to struggle with this, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, uh, Francesco Russo, Pepino Mazzotti, Will Merrick, Julia Sobo, Adela Baldari Calabri, uh, Cristiana Donido, and other folk. So let's just skip past this. Uh, synopsis for this one is, In this gruesome suspense film, strangers travelling in southern Italy become stranded in the woods, where they must fight desperately to get out alive. I genuinely did not know anything about this movie, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't. Um, allow me to regale you, ladies and gents, with what I actually said about this as a way to kind of give you some information on it uh, in a way where it kind of feels like I am actually, I don't know, because um, I don't even think my description necessarily does justice to the movie, but I described this as kind of, I described it as part Texas Chainsaw Massacre, part Evil Dead, part Carver, and part Hostel, but all Italian. Um, I'll go one step further, there's a bit of basking in here as well, maybe a tiny little bit of either something like Midsommar, although I think that's a lazy comparison by, by extent, The Wicker Man. Um, it's a movie that starts off as one movie and then changes, changes, then changes by the end. Uh, the initial setup is one that you've seen many times before, people get stranded in a location that they're not aware of, there's a cabin in the woods, um, and that's probably the first level. The second level of this movie is that there is apparently uh, a curse inflicted on this small village and as a result they're appeasing three gods with human sacrifices which is the second part of this movie. And then the third part of this movie really is the this is gnarly, this is bloody, you know, kind of almost hostile-esque violence. And then the final part of this movie is the reveal of actually what is happening on a wider scale. I will say that three of those parts work really, really, really well. The first three parts work really, really well. The actual pullback reveal as to what is actually going on is fine. It's not where I would have taken it. It's not necessarily what I felt was satisfying, but I get it. I, I get, you know, it's unpredictable. It's kind of fun. It is actually surprisingly fun and quirky when that reveal comes out. And it does almost get kind of darkly comedic towards the very, very end but you went through some really gnarly, really disgusting, really harrowing shit beforehand that I don't necessarily know if that pays it off. Uh, the effects are brilliant in this movie. It's shot beautifully, it's Italian. What do you expect? The acting's a bit ropey. Like, the, the kind of the main final girl, uh, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, who plays Eliza, is excellent. She's an excellent actress. And everyone else is okay. <laughs> like, no one else is like, you're fucking amazing. Um, the kind of main villain character, uh, played by Francesco Russo, is fine in what he's doing. And he, he got a bit grating on me after a while. I think the special effects are brilliant. I love the idea of everything kind of being bathed in this kind of red light when shit kicks off. That, once again, made me think of, oh, right, this is kind of an Italian flavour on this one is the use of the lighting. Uh, the sound design is great, score is 
not great, scores okay for what it is. And like I say, for the most part, I think it works really, really well as it's playing as a, a weird kind of almost cult supernatural movie. You know, we're dealing with a cult, we're dealing with supernatural nature um, and human sacrifice. That sort of stuff's great. The reveal of what is actually going on is fine as well. It just feels like it's from a different movie and they've tagged it on as a way to circumvent expectation. And it did. I, I, I was genuinely kind of like, all oh, right, that's what we're... All right, I, I would never have got that in a million years. There's a very wry joke in the post-credit for this one that did make me smile a little bit. But I, I found it I found it mostly entertaining. I found it mostly gnarly. And the ending didn't kill it for me. Like I say, it's just an ending that I would never have put in this movie and I never anticipated. I never anticipated it because I don't necessarily think it works. But that being said, overall, um, it was a fun movie. It was, it, was, it was not what I expected. This is not a, a movie that I would associate with Italy. And that kind of threw me back a little bit and, and, and that way it, it surprised me. Um, overall, I really liked this one. I, I thought it delivered a lot of bang for the buck. It kept me guessing. I don't know if I'd ever go back and watch it, but if I'm if I'm being honest with my review and my grade, it's a four out of five for a classic horror story. I think it's worth your time. Uh, just stick along with it, the less you know, the better. Uh, so some of my reviews probably spoiled it, but I know some people didn't like it. I know some people are a lot higher up on it than me, but four is about as far as I could go. It might even drop to 3.5 on a second viewing, but uh, luckily we're only going on the first viewing on this here. So there we go, that was a classic horror story. The seventh movie on my list. Just to recap then, Malignant was my first movie. It got four and a half out of five. Bingo Hell got two. Black as Night got two. Jacob's Wife got four out of five. Spiral from the Book of Saw got two and a half out of five. There's Someone Inside Your House got three and a half. And a classic horror story brought us back up to four. So there you go, ladies and gents. Bringing it in, bringing the thunder. Um, I'm going to take my final break of this episode. When I come back, I'll be letting you know what my next seven movies are. And we'll be discussing them on what will be the 15th of October, the midway mark for the month. Um, I'll be doing all that and closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been episode 312 we've been sitting down doing a bit of discussion on the first seven movies in my 31 of october um, the next episode will drop on the 15th of October, covering these ones, and offers plenty of episodes in between. And the next bunch of movies are We Need to Do Something, uh, Madras, uh, The Manor, Things Heard and Seen, Bloodthirsty, False Positive, and The Boy Behind the Door. So, a few from all over the place some Amazon Prime, some VOD. Uh, a little E24 in there just for shits and giggles. 
So yeah, that's where we're going next on these movie reviews. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts on this day. So wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe. That way you get the shows as and when they drop. And access to the entire back catalogue of Teapots content. Do not stop there, ladies and gents. Subscribe to the sister feed, the Teapots Collective, to get additional content. Shows like Where to Begin With, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty, and Chronicle as well. All at a touch of a finger with their archives available to you as well. Subscribing to both those feeds is the best way to support what I do under the stairs. Is the best way. You can jump across to our website, teapotscast.com. Links to all the shows are there, as well as a link to a special show, a kind of more entertainment, booze-based banter podcast called Jaws is Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts. It features myself, The Baz, and Scott and Liam from Scott and Liam vs. Evil. That's right, four drunk Scotsmen on a podcast talking shite. What more could you ask for? Uh, we have five episodes recorded, we're on a mini hiatus at the moment, hoping to be back in November, but those five episodes are very much worth your time. Uh, we talk about terrible life choices, we get drunk on air, we read out listener emails and read new, weird and wonderful news stories from around the globe. Jaws of Shite and other regrettable outbursts exclusively available on tputzcast.com. If you're on Facebook and you want to get in touch with me, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. That will take you to podcasts under the stairs. If you want to go to the Teapots Collective Facebook page, that's just simply facebook.com forward slash cast. And for Jaws is Shite, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. You can interact with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter. Both can be followed at teapotscast. The podcast Under the Stairs returns on Sunday when we look at witchcraft, a.k.a. La Casa, as disc number 62 in the 88 Films Italian Collection. So until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and what you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan Cleese broadcasting live from Under the Stairs and I am signing off.